Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you have not already, please be sure to go over to Apple Podcasts. I will have a link down below and rate and review us over on there. That really helps us out, grow this thing, uh, get some more exposure. We're doing some great stuff. So uh, I always want to hear your feedback and, and see what you what you like, dislike, want to know more about, and um, I will try and make that happen. Um, really excited today and continuing our draft coverage. I'm bringing on a friend of mine who is just meteorically risen. Uh, you, I, I, you know, I got to ask. I, I don't even remember when you came on the scene. I feel like it was like sometime midsummer. Um, but you have just exploded in the in the world of draft coverage and basketball on Twitter. Um, really excited to have on PD Webb to talk about the draft. PD, how are you doing, man? Doing great. I got a big jug of, jug of water, a cup of coffee, 90 tabs open, and I'm ready to talk some draft prospects. Yeah, I uh, I forgot my coffee. I do have water, so I should be okay. But I'll probably start shaking at some point during this. I've only had like one cup of coffee today, so we are very low. Um, but no, man, I uh, it, it's been kind of fun because uh, obviously we're in like a pretty massive group chat together, and I always feel left out talking about the draft because I never followed the draft at all until like the last month or so, and. Now I'm at the point where I realize because I've been, you know, cramming to to try and get on track and, and understand where everyone's at. Um, I think I have to start my 2021 draft coverage as soon as this next week ends, uh, just so I can stay on top of it and not miss out on anything for next year. So that I like I, I feel like it, staying on top of games is one thing, but just staying on top of all the prospects is like I can't even imagine trying to do that. But it's going to be a totally different regimen heading into next year. Yeah, I mean, we have, you know, deep uncertainty about what the year likes, uh, what the year looks like, what games are going to be played. Um, it's go- The 2021 process is going to be as unique as the 2021 process was. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it'll be the same way where it lasts, you know, six epochs of time. Um, <laughs> but it's certainly going to be different and people are going to have to adjust. So I would say starting early is definitely going to help. Um, it also helps that like 2021 is like one of the most exciting classes we're going to have just so many uh, super interesting guys um, who are on unique uh, developmental trajectories. Um, whereas the 2020 class, um, for the most part, are the same guys that uh, people have known about for years. Uh, we were talking before, like I, I'm in the process of writing a LaMelo Ball uh, breakdown and I did Anthony Edwards last week and uh, putting the finishing touches on, on the Wiseman piece. And I could have written all of that like for them as sophomores in high school. They're roughly the same dudes, uh, more or less, you know, with some with some growing in between. Whereas 2021 is the exact opposite. Like so many people are so different from where they were uh, even you know, a year and a half ago. Yeah, the first guy I've already been turned on to because obviously, I mean, Cade Cunningham, um, Amani Bates, uh, Chet Holmgren, all these guys. But the guy who I, I mean, you know, Emiliano as well, because he's always putting this out on Twitter. Uh, Paolo Banchero, I think is his name. Um yep. That is who is pioneering. Emiliano's pioneering hard for him. Um, and I, I'm going to start watching some of his film soon because from what I've heard, he's fantastic. I was talking to Cosmos yesterday as well, and he said that that's the hype train I should get aboard. So uh, looking out early. Yeah, I mean, you're you're really leaning into it. I mean, 2022 is a is a bit away, and, uh, and Paolo is 
just so goddamn good. Um, so like, you know, the future of basketball is in a really good place. It's been interesting to see people, uh, you know, so desperate for the game that they're, they're reaching down among the, you know, the, the consistent high school basketball watchers and being like, wow, there's some stuff down here, huh? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's it's funny because like, especially with all the crap that came out, like, oh, you know, the NBA ratings are down um, out of, you know, certain journalists. Um, I think it's it's I, I don't know. I think there's so much to draw from that in terms of like, I think a lot of it is not actually the way we've made it out to be because all sports are down. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think we're just so starved for content. We're ready for more. Um, almost to a fault, I think, because the amount of times that I went back and watched some random ass game that happened in January, I, I you know, it, it happened, but we're here now. So, all right, we got to hop in and start talking about the draft. Otherwise, I'm going to go on talking about some random game in January. Um, so I think the I, I want to ask you a bunch of questions about, you know, your scouting philosophy and, and looking at how teams should maybe draft. Um and just kind of your thoughts on that before we 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 dive into prospects. So I think most importantly, I mean, I'm not a draft guy myself. I want to be, but you know, learning from from people who who know what they're doing, I think, is the best way that you can kind of uh, get a grasp on on how to look at things. So um, I, I think the first question I would ask is looking at a team like the Pacers that is never going to be out of the playoffs, or at least never going to be trying to actively not be in the playoffs. Um, does that maybe change how they should go about drafting players in your mind? Yes. Um, because in a world where like I ran the Pacers, um, where I might be tempted to, you know, break apart this team, you know, all the way down and try to get as many composite pieces um, to, to build the next contender, um, you know, whether that's flipping one, two or three of the central pieces. Um, but the Pacers are always going to be asset limited um, and they're always going to be trying to plug in guys who can contribute, even if it's on you know a tenth or eleventh man rotation, um, rather than trying to find you know big swings at long term prospects. Um, and I think that that's smart. Um, you have owner constraints, uh, and you have to operate within them. And you know, if a team were to you know draft away from those owner constraints, they wouldn't be running that team much longer. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Um, so I mean, you can always say, "What would I do?" But, you know, if you are a person who views, you know, the process as a, a generally sound idea with flawed execution, um, it can be difficult to look at the Pacers and be like, well, this team, you know, has interesting pieces, but needs, you know, a severe rearranging. But that's just not a reality. So when you have, you know, one draft asset at 54 uh, with, you know, maybe more on the way if, if, a, you know, if one of the pieces is moved, um, the best you can do is, is find people who will contribute as you know, you make a run towards the five, six, seven and try to battle into the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that's kind of how I've gone about trying to look at guys. There are a couple of project guys that I do want to talk about for sure. When we, when we get deeper, um, but looking at drafting, like, is there a certain way to view it? Like what are the skills that, that, that you notice or point out? I mean, I think I've started to pick up on uh, things that, that are obviously important. I mean, I, watching regular NBA basketball, um, you pick up on on why players are good and all of that. But I think especially looking at uh, it was weird because I tried to watch some of Josh Hall's tape and I had to turn it off because I was like, I'm watching him play against high school guys. Like I have no idea how to how to evaluate this. Like so even even that that was like extremely difficult for me. But looking at college, even I think um, as time goes on, like watching some of the stuff, I picked up more on it. But like just in terms of looking at, you know, what are, what are you noticing or, or trying to track with a guy and 
um, how they may be developing. So I'm, I look at the draft probably much differently than uh, people who you know work at, at ESPN or uh, any of the other big networks in that like I don't like big boards. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that I evaluate um, like wing players or creators specifically is that I divide them into into seven categories of like what the most dire need to improve on is or what's the most essential way of viewing them as prospects. So like taking a person like Ben Simmons, um, like that skill would be would be shooting. Like his his analysis depends on how much he can shoot or how you know shooting can be placed around him to to offset his his difficulties. Um, and then the other categories would be like field dribbling, playmaking tools, point of attack defense, and off ball defense. Um, and then the question that I generally ask every person is like, which one of those skills is most developable in, in the idea of a basketball player? And which one of those is the least? Developable? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think um, just from everything that I've gathered, I mean, I think a shot can be restructured. Uh, it doesn't always work. I'm definitely not a shot doctor, but I mean, we've seen guys who, who went from being pretty poor shooters to being like decent. Um, I feel like, Point of attack defense is probably difficult um, just because the, a lot of that is having the measurables to do it. Right. Um, I mean, I'm sure you can teach somebody to be in the right position and everything, but it, at the end of the day, it comes down to, can you be laterally quick and do you have a good wingspan? I mean, like even just with the Pacers, you see a guy like TJ McConnell. Um, he's a smart, smart defender, a uh, good p- positional defender. But like at, at, at the end of the day, it comes down to TJ McConnell is six foot one with a pretty small wingspan. So he can't really contest anybody's shot. Um, so I guess that was the one I would say would maybe be like the least plastic, um, maybe playmaking too, because I think like at, at some point it sounds reductive, but like you look at the guys, like we're mentioning, like Lamella ball um, guy, like Ben Simmons, even like, I mean, you can mention even up and up, but like, um, you can't really just teach the ability to read the court the way that those guys do. Um, and I mean, we've definitely seen that with a lot of guys like Lance Stevenson is a great example. Um, you know, and obviously he did have solid court awareness. We just didn't always have great self-awareness. Um, but I think that's kind of what I'd look at, but I, I don't know if I'm right on that. Yeah. I think that the the beauty of this way of thinking is that it asks further questions. Yeah. And so like oftentimes the most dangerous thing that, that a person can do is think that they know the answer and not need more interrogation upon their, upon their thinking. Um, I would say that in terms of going from bad to good, point of attack defense is, um, is one of the most difficult ones. Mm-hmm. But going from good to great, I would say it's one of the easier ones. The one that I think for me is impossible, or I don't really have cases of people going from good to great is dribbling. Mm-hmm. The amount of people who become like solid dribblers it's, it, it's a skill that can be worked on consistently, but going from like where LeBron is now to like where Kevin Porter Jr. is, is impossible. It's just not a, a, a skill pathway for someone to develop that kind of shake, that kind of uh, micro movements, that, that sort of uh, prior perception to, to sell that you're moving a certain way and actually setting up to move a different way. Um, and then I think the easiest to go from good to great shooting. Um, we've seen over and over again, guys who, couldn't shoot become you know at least good spot up shooters or good spot up shooters develop um, develop off the dribble a little bit or you know guys who are good with floaters start to to be able to shoot off movement 
Um, I mean, DJ Warren is, is an obvious example here. Mm -hmm. uh, it just seems like something that uh, MBA development staffs have figured out. Um, and as the brain drain has left San Antonio, more and more teams have gathered you know, that institutional knowledge and started to incorporate it. Um, so that's, that's the way that I evaluate the draft is finding specific skills that need to be worked on, how far or how likely I think it is for them to get better at it. Like obviously there's a difference between like Ben Simmons's uh, difficulty shooting and like Jalen Brown's difficulty shooting um, as prospects. Um, and then, you know, you weigh that against their, their other uh, potential skills. Um, and so that for me is what sort of leads to the second component is looking at fit. Um, I think fit is the most important thing, um, not just on the court, uh, not just, uh, you know, fit relative to other players, but also like organizational fit. Like if you're a team that develops shooters, like you should go find people who can't shoot. That's a, that's an edge that your team has. That's a fit edge mm -hmm. that your team has. Um, or if you have, you know, Jokic, like you should just go get as many like fun cutters as possible. Um, so I think that thinking of fit more broadly um, becomes a better proxy for potential which often just means like, can they do cool dribble moves and score? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Like um, I think, yeah, like uh, so often when we look at fit, we're like, okay, well, what position are they going to play? And I think more importantly, like something that I always bring up and obviously, you know, this is just a small example, but um, it's something that's been an issue with the Pacers overall. And I think part of it is because of the team they are and they're never going to be not trying to win. Like, I think Aaron Holiday's gotten really lucky in the way that we're not even lucky. I mean, he's worked his ass off to do it and he's a solid player, but um, I mean, he hardly got consistent minutes his rookie year, even this year. I mean, he, he had one of the most fluid roles in the NBA going from being a, a starter for like 15 straight games to by the end of the season before the bubble. I mean, he was not even in the rotation because Victor and Malcolm were both healthy. Um, so I think like, uh, just with the Pacers in general, they they're they're not great at, at getting their young players rotation minutes, which I think is something that's frustrating to me. And I believe they're going to work on it. Moving, they've said they're going to work on it moving forward. Um, I'll believe it when I see it because I haven't seen it in like since Paul George got drafted, pretty much. So uh, yeah, I think that's where I'm at on that. And like you look at a guy like T.J. Leaf, I think um, obviously not an NBA player, not an NBA athlete. Um, but I think we would have known that a lot sooner if he actually got more run and an opportunity to play. Um, so I, I don't know where you're at on that, but I think that's something that's just in my opinion, because I dealt with even like, obviously I wasn't that high level of an athlete, but I think just getting game reps is so much more important than just like practice is obviously important, of course, but if you're not getting those opportunities to play in game and to grow through making mistakes in game, then, what are we doing drafting someone, right? Yeah. Um, it also, uh, <laughs> the, one of the difficulties of being a win now team is that um, it doesn't really allow for experimentation. And like yeah. TJ Leaf specifically came from a UCLA system where like it was free and loose and full of experimentation. Uh, one of the downsides of scouting TJ Leaf, if you're a person who only scouts college, is that you didn't see him before. Um, so doing longitudinal scouting and being like, hey, some of these things like weren't present for him in high school or in AAU. Um, and wondering if, you know, the Lonzo context and the UCLA context uh, heightened his evaluation. Mm -hmm. um, and then thinking, okay, so he, if he does better in a 
like free and loose environment and we're you know a more restrictive win now team um where you have to produce in you know the five to ten minutes you have to have you know you get a game you know 12 if you're really cooking uh how's that going to work and the answer is like it doesn't yeah uh, and i think that regardless of how good or bad tj leaf is like i, I didn't think he was an nba player if anyone who fits that profile also would have failed maybe not to that degree but it just stands to reason that you know if somebody likes a you know more laissez-faire system putting them in a structured ventral is not going to go particularly well. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think my, my like I think the main point we're hitting overall is just the environment is just as important as, as who's getting drafted. Like I was talking to Evan Damrell. I don't know if you know him. He, uh, he writes for, um, he's contributor for Forbes. I know just fear the sword too, but he's locked on Cavs. And he told, he told, he was telling me about like just the total organizational commitment to Kevin Porter jr. Um, over the, uh, the hiatus like he lives in downtown cleveland they brought him his meals three times a day they had uh they like had his workouts like regimented and were like just completely committed to being on top of him the entire time in the hiatus and i think that's something like uh, and that's not even like trying to like say anything about kevin i think it's just more like okay this team knows the things that kevin struggles with uh they know what they see in him and they sell out to, to get all of that. And I think you look, okay, maybe if a team doesn't do that, uh, he obviously they didn't even play in the bubble, but if a guy gets off their program, like we saw with 11, um, 12 and um, in the 99 lockout, all these guys who didn't weren't, weren't able to stay on track and, and it greatly impacted their careers. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that people struggle to think about this because uh, it can be uncomfortable for them, but like the NBA is a job and, an employer should care about you. If you are essential with that employer, they should do everything possible to get the most out of you. Um, and like, that's part of the development piece is like, if you have specific concerns, uh, whether, you know, the, the prior stuff with KPJ or, you know, um, the, you know, the specific practice schedule that you need, or, you know, like that's, that was like Westbrook's thing in, in Oklahoma City. He's like, he like thinks a certain way. It's like, yeah, we can do that. Like making flexibility and, you know, realizing what, you can, what can be compromised on um, to fit talent and what can be, uh, you know, what is essential to your program and like having these larger visions are the things that are essential for good teams. And like the things that, you know, every time that there's, you know, one of these, you know, 10,000 word blow up pieces, it's just like, Oh yeah, they, they weren't run like a, you know, like a good organization. Like, would you want to work here? And everyone reads like, Oh no, that sounds awful. It's like, Oh yeah. So you're just throwing 18 year olds to this and expecting it to work. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that stuff is so important. Like, even just looking at, like, pull up Detroit in, in 03. Uh, I mean, 04. Gosh, I can't speak. Um, and I'm totally Darko. You bring up Darko. I mean, like, Darko, I think it's something that we're about to get into, but like, he just wasn't super into playing basketball. And they didn't, he was in a poor environment too. Like, I don't know. Maybe, like, I think things could go differently depending on draft spot and where guys go. And that's just important to keep in mind. Um, so I think kind of also like transitioning into understanding draft philosophy, um, how important do you think measurables are and like kind of understanding NBA athleticism? Cause like we see guys like Jimmer Fredette at BYU who, you know, uh, I think that the, we're, I think overall draft analysis is better at kind of catching guys like these now, not to say that you have to be caught like, but I mean, Jimmer Fredette was not an NBA athlete. Um, obviously did some really, incredible things when he was at BYU, but it just doesn't translate to the NBA when you don't have the requisite athleticism. So like, how do you kind of um, pick that stuff out? And, and, and is there kind of a threshold that the guys have to meet or, or how do you view that? 
So I think there are three components to what you say, um, and all of them are honestly fascinating. Um, the first one is that like we, as fans or, or analysts, often define athleticism as um, things that lead to dunks. Mm -hmm. um, so like, you know, slinkiness coming out of a crossover, the ability to load up on one foot, but really like athleticism is everything. Like, you know, the ability to backpedal and jump while backpedaling is athleticism. Um, the ability to like turn your head while running diagonal on a pick and roll, like that is athleticism. Um, so having a more broad understanding of uh, specific athleticisms. So like, you know, if you're a drop pick, you should have really long arms. Like when you're in pick and roll, you're going to need to be able to backpedal, jump while backpedaling, um, extend arms in two directions, one for the pass and one for, uh, and one for the floater and be able to contest both. And that is an extremely specific condition. And it's mm -hmm. one that like, if you are too small, it will be very difficult for you to be a very good pick. Like your footwork is just going to have to be immaculate. And you're going to have to be, you know, uh, built like a panzer tank. Um, and there are guys like that, but it does like that is an, uh, a measurable condition. Um, you know, if you are a wing defender who predicates on deflections, you got to have long arms and you have to have really good reactive athleticism. Um, it doesn't particularly matter if you have a 40 inch vertical. Um, like no one would say like Tayshawn was like an absolutely nuts athlete, mm -hmm. but he was a very good reactive athlete. And he was also very good at, uh, you know, using hand-eye coordination to high point. Um, Shots off the backboard in playoff games. Um, Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> had to do that. No, oh, man. Yeah, I, I didn't realize I was doing it until I got halfway through. And I was like, you know what? Uh, let's just going to follow these. through. That's yeah. Quality. I was like, you know what? Uh, it, it is hate tweets engagement question mark. Yeah. Um, so when recognizing, you know, these measurables, it's, it's understanding that like when you look at the full sheet, not everything is super essential. If, if a guy is, you know, straight line fast, but they can't move laterally and their role demands lateral quickness, like they're not going to do particularly well. Are mm -hmm. they athletic? No. Like this, this goes to Wiseman. Like, no, Wiseman is a, a gazelle running in a straight line, but he doesn't change directions particularly quickly. And most of defense is changing directions really quickly. Um, and if you're, if, if your prestige athleticism is that one that only helps after you've gotten a stop, um, but the athleticism doesn't translate to the ability to like get a stop. Like, there are some problems, um, and that sort of speaks to to like the the portability of of college and, and high school tape is is understanding what thing what thresholds need to be met. So when you're watching it, like you know, we see every year these guys who dominate like Jimmer, um, and they can do all these things. But Jimmer's issue was that he wanted to play out ball, but he wasn't able to like come off screens. Mm -hmm. Like he, he wanted to shoot, you know, Steph shots, you know, but he wasn't capable of doing the other things that like a two guard needed to do. And so, you know, going to China was actually the best compromise for him. Like, yes, he was a terrible defender, but if he were, you know, able to do Duncan Robinson stuff, he would have stuff in the league, but he wasn't willing to do those things. He wasn't willing or able, you know, depending on who you talk to. It's not the shooting is the issue or that his type of shooting doesn't translate. It's that his specific way of viewing the game didn't allow for him to be ported into a small role. Yeah, that okay, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think we've kind of seen sort of the similar thing with Lance. I mean, Lance was not – I mean, I don't know. Lance is so hard for me to evaluate and look at, um, especially because I am not a, a huge Lance person, to be completely honest. Um, yeah, just because off-court stuff yep. makes me not a big fan of Lance, um, yep. which it, so it always irks me when Pacers fans are like, oh, we should bring back Lance. I'm like, oh, maybe not. Um, but, I mean, just looking at his game, I mean, 
he was not somebody willing to be an, an off ball guy. And he didn't really, I don't, I don't want to say he didn't work on things to become a better off ball player, but um, it, it's just weird. Cause he was a guy very similar to JaVale McGee. Obviously. I mean, if you're on Shackton all the time uh, you're similar to JaVale um, and, and JaVale, like honestly, pretty, pretty well um, changed up his career. And I think that's just something we never saw with Lance. And I guess we probably won't now considering he never got back into the league, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, understanding who can do portability um, and who like has the, the approach for it is a really difficult thing. Um, this is something that's like hurting a number of draft prospects in this, in this current class is that they have, um, you know, they've been told like MJ mentality, like, you know, believe you're the best guy in the world and believe you should get the shots and dominate. And like that works if you're the best player on a team, but if you're the seventh guy in the locker room, that gets you into Reggie Jackson territory. You know, Reggie Jackson wrote starting point guard on his shoes every night. Uh-huh. Russell Westbrook was on the team. And like, you can imagine how well that goes over. Yeah. I, uh, let alone with Russ, just imagine yeah, the other point guard. Like, oh man, I also have to tell you some stuff about, I, yeah, I got stories for you after, but uh, um, no. Yeah. I mean, that, that brings up a really great point. Also my first, uh, my first Reggie, Reggie Jackson um, connection. I think the very first game I ever watched him play was the game that got frozen out against OKC. Um, which that was like one of the most awkward moments I think I've watched on live television. Um, it was just very uncomfortable because you could see how frustrated he was, but exciting times. Um, I, I think another thing that we got to hit on too, something that always gets mentioned that I think, I mean, I, it, it makes sense to me um, that that we're still trying to see people come around on, on a more uh, traditional, traditional is the wrong way to put it, like a more like broad um, approach for people to look at looking at the, you know, kind of correlation between free throw shooting and, and, and three point shooting. Yeah. The, uh, the correlation of touch indicators. Um, this is a tough one um, because I think that there's probably like four or five indicators that are mm-hmm. as strong as free throw shooting, um, but they don't necessarily happen enough in a basketball game. So like floaters are, you know, they're a touch skill, you know, it involves arc, it involves uh, picking up the ball off a live dribble, um, obviously huge amounts of hand-eye coordination, footwork, uh, rhythm, the problem is that, like, unless you're a dude who just can't get to the rim in college, which, like, gives the red flag onto itself if you can't get to the cup um, against a lower level of competition and you're a creator. Um, like, dudes don't take that many floaters. Um, free throws happen more often. Um, other things that, like, other things that happen a lot but are sort of being phased out by the game are um, uh, pull-up pull up jumpers from, like, 16 to, to 20 feet. But, you know, you have programs like uh, like Alabama, which, you know, strongly di- discouraged in the, the harshest of strongly discouraged <laughs> taking uh, mid-range jumpers. So there's another, you know, indicator indicator. And the final one would be like finishing around the rim um, for guys who aren't, you know, straight down finishers, um, guys who have to, you know, put a little English on it or, you know, lob the ball over top. Um, those are again, a, a touch indicator. So depending on the volume of each of those different categories, along with the three point shooting itself and you know, the ways that it comes. So if a guy, like say Tyrese Maxey, who you know has bad shooting numbers, but everything prior says he's a good shooter. Yeah, um, might be on high school numbers, and you realize that he's taking a whole bunch of shots off the dribble. You're like, okay, so there's probably better numbers here that that are hidden by the context. And you know, 30 games is not enough to determine if somebody's a good shooter or not. Like, I'd much rather have the hundred high school UIBL games. Um, what do you can what can you lean on? You look at like Maxey, ludicrous finisher, great floater touch, you know, shot pretty well on on pull up jumpers and you sort of add those up and, and, you know, look at the historical context and like say, okay, what is more likely here? 
that a guy who is a good shooter up until this point, who, you know, routinely makes 17 foot floaters off the glass uh, and, you know, finishes around the rim, like, like, you know, like he's a center um, with, you know, a, a variety of different finishes was more likely that 30 games in you know, an awful space context is his true shooting ability or, you know, the rest of these indicators. And um, I'm not enough of um, a college graduate to, to build a data model um, to, to be able to, to tell you that scientifically. But that's generally what I look at, um, that, that sort of uh, mixture depending on, on usage uh, for a guy. And then obviously the reputation of the places that he's been. Uh, there are college programs and high school programs that are better at developing shooting. There are those that are worse. Uh, you know, if a guy goes through a great institution and can't shoot for his life, I generally worry. Mm-hmm. Um, if a guy goes through an awful institution and he's still like kind of shooting and you know, things haven't been corrected, there's a whole bunch of low hanging fruit that I know that NBA teams will fix. Um, I'm generally of the belief that the best development you'll ever find is in the NBA and it's by playing in the NBA. So um, if a guy has any sort of uh, you know bad coaching or uh, or you know institutional malfeasance um, and they have you know a generally good wiring, I assume that. A good amount of development will happen in that respect. Okay, yeah, that 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 totally makes sense. There's, I think, yeah, the biggest thing that that I've gathered is it's the context that's really important. Like, there's so much more than like, yeah, you can point out one thing, but then there's six other things that go into that, or even more. Um, so yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I think we're we're probably good to to move into prospects now. I think. Okay, now that people have a little bit more info on uh, on where I'm coming from, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So first, I know you want to talk about some of the uh, draft and stash guys in, in the EU currently. Yeah. So um, what happens after 45 is generally teams take conditional guys. So guys that are draft and stash or maybe you're willing to take you know, a little less money for their slot or, you know, it's an agency favor. You know, these are the spots, the last like 15 spots that are after like either, you know, big swings or they do a really specific thing that makes them useful to that specific team. You know, if you, your team doesn't have, uh, you know, a seven foot three dude, who's good for six fouls and dunks, uh, like you, you take him at like 50, you know, seven or whatever. Um, but because of the alignment of this particular draft schedule, um, a lot of the EU guys who didn't get promises went back. Mm-hmm. So that's Petrushev, Kaliazakis, Rokashevkibaitis, uh, Henry Drell, and, uh, Lokerix, uh, Rodion's little brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that leaves the Pacers with less options at 54 because, you know, those are, you know, six, five, six uh, guys who like would probably be in consideration at 54 just because of their contract status and, you know, their ability to play overseas and develop a little bit. They're not all necessarily fits, but it's, you know, a genre of pick that would normally happen at this slot, but isn't going to necessarily be available to them just because of how weird 2020 is. Okay. That makes sense. And I heard, I've heard really good things about Rokas Jakobitis. Um, He's fun. And I love this. I love his name, man. That's just like an awesome NBA name. Yes. So I would be all for it. So I think, all right, uh, you, you broke some bad news to me on the first guy I wanted to talk about and Cosmos did as well yesterday. So now I have two, two sources confirming it, which is not great. Um, Malik Fitz uh, out of St. Mary's who I've, I've really enjoyed watching. And also just, I don't know if you follow any of John Chepkevich's stuff out of PBC, Big fan. Um, but I, he's done some awesome remote interviews with a lot of prospects. So I really liked Malik and he was awesome on, on his interview too. Um, originally thought he was six, eight. And I think you, you mentioned he, he ended up testing his combine at like six, six and a half somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, which changes 
uh, that's one of those weird, you know, threshold things that mm-hmm. like he's probably a four and being a six, six and a half four is really tough. Um, and being at 54, there's a question that needs to be asked of every guy is that, is this a good use of draft capital or is yeah. this somebody I could wait to try to get as a UDFA? And mm-hmm. you know, not every free agent that a team wants to sign, they're going to get, but that is sort of the imperative question of like, um, if there are more questions that may, you know, would be solved by summer league or, or would be solved, you know, um, getting them in a conditional sense for the G league. I think more teams are going to weigh that way. Um, and that's not a, a case against uh, a guy. I think a lot of uh, agents would prefer teams or guys in the very late second go undrafted just because of their um, you know, team control and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Malik, I think that the news of him being not the same size makes his archetype so uh, a little or quite a bit more uh, precarious. And he's probably going to be a UDFA because of it. Yeah. Do you think it totally drops him from the league? No. I mean, I think that he's going to stick around because he does, you know, like enough. Um, yeah. If if the two years of St. Mary's shooting are real, which like I, I think they are. Um, you know, he ended up being like a almost 39 or a 39% shooter over the over his three years in college between South Florida and St. Mary's. Um, if that's real, like that will generally keep you in the league in the league and in, you know, whether it's flitting between the G League um, and, and the league, but like we'll keep you involved a while um my worry with him is that if he's six six like he, he can't be this bad of a passer yeah yeah it's he's uh he was really he's a fun prospect to watch because like you mentioned I mean, he's just a weird tweener like um he definitely has to play the four um but he has like he can he can face up actually pretty decently but like you mentioned he's not a good passer which is why he's not a three right now like um and his handle's pretty loose too like he he, he definitely i think he had a higher uh I think he averaged more turnovers than assists. Yes, he did average more turnovers than assists his entire career. So that's definitely problematic. Um, but in terms of like my biggest question for you with him is NBA athleticism, because I know um, a lot of guys have brought up to me that he doesn't have the explosiveness, which you see in he had really minimal dump, dunk attempts, um, which is also, I mean, I guess that gets even more exacerbated by his now confirmed size. Um but in just in terms of him as a an open court athlete, I felt like he's not actually he's not like terrible. Like I feel like he he moved decent enough laterally, and uh, like I mean there were sequences where you can notice him like tag and close out without getting completely killed. Um, where are you at on him in terms of just being a, a, able to roam on court? I, mean, I think he's fine. He you know two steal percentage, one uh, block percentage for his senior year at St. Mary's. Um, the the thing with guys' athleticism is that like, it should really pop, especially yeah. like, the lower they go down the uh, competition totem pole. Um, not to say that like you can't be an okay athlete, but like you have to look like a dominant athlete for your level, yeah, for it to make sense. Um, I think the dunks are uh, a little bit of misdirection on his actual athleticism. I think it's a better uh, proxy for how bad his handle is, yeah, um, because if he is that large. Like if he is six six with a little bit of a handle and he's an NBA player, like uh, WCC fours shouldn't give him any problems, and he should be able to get half court dunks. And that is something that didn't happen, especially like with the closeouts he's getting. It it creates an environment where it leads me to believe that he's much more of a UDFA guy um, who you know in an NBA G League weight room can develop with time. But this doesn't seem to me to be the best use of uh, of assets, especially because, like, I consider the Pacers to be an athleticism minus team. Yes, they are currently. 
And if you are drafting at 54 with the idea of like, we need somebody who can make an impact right now. If it's a guy who's just like, I'm a ludicrous athlete, like don't jump off the page. Um, this doesn't seem to fit that profile. Yeah. I think ultimately I'm getting to that point too. Um, I don't know, maybe a UDFA guy who knows, I could spend some time in Fort Wayne. Um, but yeah, we'll see man on him. I I'm hopeful for him though. Cause he, he seems like a quality dude. Um, so this, this guy that we're coming up on is maybe my favorite guy in the draft that I've watched other than one other guy who we'll get to later as well. Um, but Najee Marshall out of Xavier, um, just such a like fun dude to watch play, like just does some really intriguing stuff uh, in terms of like, I believe he was like the primary creator for Xavier last year, let him in assists. Um, it turns over the ball a lot. I mean, but he has a nice handle. He's like his footwork coming off the catch in uh, in the half court is fantastic. And I just love his aggression. Uh, obviously a really solid defender too, but not a great three-point shooter. Um, I, I guess, yeah, I'll just, we can launch it from there. Yeah, I think that um, he's a guy who, like you can talk yourself into as a steal. Um, he's sort of a, a guy that I would call like eight percenters, or if they were like 8% better at uh, at like, some of their worst skills, they'd be like a top 20 pick in this draft. Um, because like you have, you know, a, a toolsy and three indie wing. And like, that's what basically every team in the late first is like yearning for is a guy who can come in and steal some minutes on twos, threes and small fours, um, knock down shots. And then like, you know, live in passing lanes. Like that's a, that's an absolute first rounder in this draft. And the fact that Najee Marshall isn't there is an indicator of, uh, how the NBA feels generally about, uh, some of the demerits specifically the shooting um but i think that the free throw rate is also uh, a real concern for me how so like what do you mean like just uh, to elaborate on that like what do you mean the yeah. free throw rate is concerning so like um with guys who have great tools you want them to lift the line um and he's at like 357 for a career which looks really good and then you realize that uh that it went down basically every single year as he got more and more creation ability. Um, you know, he, there's an inverse relationship and uh, the amount of uh, playmaking ability and the ability to get to the line. Um, so you're looking at a guy who, you know, is doing more with the ball, but isn't necessarily as efficient as running an offense, mm-hmm. um, which probably isn't going to be his NBA role, but it speaks to um, some of the like smaller things. When you look at his game, um, like how does how does he win in a world where the shot is not falling, where he, you know, he's being swung the ball, um, you know, after a creator, you know, say he gets drafted and, and the Oladipo is still here, or we'll say TJ Warren, just to be safe. TJ Warren swings the ball. It's a bent defense. He gets a soft closeout. Jumper's not falling, so he decides not to shoot it. How does he get positive value out of that position? Okay, that that totally makes sense too. I feel like what what do you where do you, where are you at on his passing? Because I feel like his passing is like for if he's like a like a tertiary playmaker, I, I kind of do like his passing and feel in the half court. Yeah, I mean, I think that his passing is one of the main um, one of the main appeals for me, um, along with just like his hands on defense. Those are mm-hmm. the two things that that really jump out when I watch Najee. Um, also, he went to Xavier, so he's just a dog. Like it's just life. If you if you went to Xavier, like all those dudes are dogs. Uh, I imagine those practices must be hell. I would love to um, see Ed and Najee get some run together, but it will never happen, but it sounds nice. Um, the thing is, is that he's being used in a role 
in college that is not his NBA role. So to access that passing versatility, he has to get the same coverages in the NBA that he got in college. And NBA teams are just not going to respect the jumper. Um, so it's going to be like that situation where a guy comes off pick and roll, and they're just going to drop. Like if he can't get to the free throw line, you know, assume that the translation is going to you know bring it down just because you're facing a different quality for a protector. Um, if teams don't respect the jumper, the passing angles aren't going to be the same. And he is not the level of passer that can create angles out of nothing, nor does he have like a specific uh, physical advantage. Um, like Ish Smith is an example of this, where like Ish Smith has speed. It's kept him in the league. Because like if, if there is a slow big, Ish will find them and be able to turn a corner. Um, so when looking at these college creators who have a, uh, an, a dissimilar role to their NBA one, you have to wonder what skills they have to add to get the same coverage and get the same level of respect in the defense. Okay. That, that totally makes sense. And another thing that I've, I forgot to ask earlier, uh, can you expand on steal and block rate and what's, I guess, like threshold for being good or very good on that? Cause I, I know a little bit about that, but just for, for, for listeners, I feel like that would help out as well. Yeah, so steal and block rate are possessions uh, that end in a steal or block. Um, for wings, uh, I would say that like one is for one for each is the like sort of the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, they aren't like steals and blocks themselves aren't defense. They are proxies for defense happening. Like the ideal defensive possession isn't one that a defender blocks a shot or a defender gets a steal. It's that like the offense chucks up a bad shot and you keep it moving uh, because steals and blocks don't happen that often. Yeah. So. Steals and blocks are sort of a proxy for the ability to be in position and also have an athleticism advantage over college that will, you know, not be the same in the NBA, but shows that they belong. So, you know, a guy who is an okay college defender, but has like a really low block and steal rate, is probably gonna be a bad NBA defender because the athleticism isn't there. You can be as good at rotations as you want. Like if you um, have to go up and challenge a Cam Reddish jumper, like that thing is getting released dead in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um so I try to not be super strict with thresholds. Like if a guy is an events creator, I would like to see at least 1.5 uh, in steals. And then like, if I can get 1.5 in blocks, if, he's a, uh, if he is a, a four, but these are more just trying to understand uh, like these are holistic ideas. I'm never going to look at a guy and be like, he had a 0.9 steal rate. Like if you play for um, a team that doesn't believe in steals, they just want to, um, they don't, you know, allow them to gamble or um, the the coach is ultra conservative. I can yeah. understand that, but it should jump out. Your athleticism should then jump out on film. It's like, okay, this is a coach decision. So I use this as a proxy for athleticism and defensive understanding um, relative to role. Okay, that that totally makes sense and clears that up. Um, and so, you know, just in terms of looking at block rate, our next guy who I'm – like, I, I don't know. He's someone I had to really contain myself on because I just get excited watching guys with really high motors play. Um, and Lamar Stevens out of Penn state, definitely um, looking at him. I th- will, we'll definitely get to his offense, but I think if he did not have offensive concerns, he could be an immediate impact guy on defense, in my opinion, or where you kind of add on him and, um, and his ability. Uh, yeah. Um, for just, just to reference the thing that we just talked about, uh, steal rate of two, block rate of 3.8. Like a guy who that, that's what you know generally impact looks like on defense. Um, I who does he guard to you? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like he's someone to me, like I I mean, he's a funky kind of combo forward because I know he's like he's weird because he's like a big th- definitely a big three. He'd be like a big power three, but like as an 
as a real like four, he's kind of undersized because I don't know what he measured at without shoes on. Um, but six five. He measured a six five without shoes on. Yeah. Oh shoot! Wow. Okay. So. Oh no no this is old. I'm sorry. This is way. Old. Okay. I was like oh no. I was like oh. This, this is a this is a high school measurement. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, I saw that one. It was on Hoopsack, I mean, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. I just I just did a quick. Uh, let me pull up uh, Twitter and allow you to keep talking while I. Quit. Well, yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah, that's a good question because he even even if he is six eight with without shoes on, like he's kind of an undersized for it. My problem, like not even problem, but like my baseline that I look at a lot with the Pacers is, um, can this guy be better than that on offense? Um, I think that's the baseline, and like also like. Thad, as good of a backline defender as he was, really not a rim protection guy. Like, obviously fantastic in the passing lanes, um, was really good on ball as well. Just an awesome all-around defender who I think got robbed from all defense at least once when he was in Indiana, but that's neither here nor there. Um, But in terms of looking at what he can do, like, I think – I don't know if he's going to be strong. Like, he's very strong, but I don't know how well he's going to be able to guard, um, like, say – that's a – great point okay like say somebody like paul Millsap, um which obviously there are very few guys like that in the league right now but i think he would struggle with that um but i like the idea of him like in, as a fit if if we're just going off the modest bonus being there because lamar stevens is fantastic as a weak side room protector um but then again i think if you're playing a bigger team like um if you're playing philly and ben simmons is actually playing the four this year um i don't know if i want lamar stevens guarding ben simmons uh, he measured in at six five and three quarters. Oh shit! Okay, so definitely, probably well. And his his wingspan is what, like seven foot, seven one? I think it's right. Uh, right he got let's see, this is organized right weirdly on NBA.com, six nine. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. so that's tough. Like not to just and this like, is totally and this is the him, but and this is the agency listing. Okay, so, so like, it's not shitting. It you. may not be this. Um, wow. So this year, um, there's not necessarily a uh, every year there are mistakes with uh, wingspan, um, mm-hmm. just because like it's you know guys slump or they they incorrectly measure it. This year, agencies are just sending them in. Um, so there are naturally are a whole bunch of people with 40 inch you know verticals when there are you know three to four every single year. Yeah. And suddenly we have ten. You know, this is the fastest you know lane agility year ever. It's just because people are um, serving their interests, yeah, rather than maybe serving honesty is a, is a way of saying it. So that some people are telling the truth. Some people do have the wingspans they claim. The fact that this either is the true number or maybe a heightened number is a real concern because a six nine wingspan uh, is a problem. It's not as big of a problem as uh, Killian Tilly's reported six foot eight wingspan. He he reported a six foot eight wingspan. Yeah. Oh my. Well, we'll Again. we'll definitely get to that later. Oh man! Oh yes! Oh boy! <laughs> um, but yeah. Also, I don't know. I guess I, I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this as well. But I, I mean, think that's I, like I don't think he guards. Uh, I think he guards twos. I think that you just put him on. Um, you put him on the like the weakest position in basketball, like the yeah. off ball creator, and to just kind of let him roam. Um, this mm-hmm. is generally what I do with guys who I don't think have the physical tools to to guard wings, but like have rotational ability is you give them the least on-ball responsibility and most off-ball responsibility. Um, I don't necessarily think that's like going to be a thing that like causes wins and losses, but it'll keep him on the court 
um, a guy with this kind of instincts um, who doesn't necessarily have the tools. Like that's, that is, you know, a guy that you want on the team, but isn't necessarily going to uh, like take your defense to another level, but it will keep your bench lineups, um, you know, below you know, 125 overrating while he's out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, so he's interesting to me because I, I mean, obviously I don't think he's ever going to be a starter in the league, but I think he does have the tools like his defense. Like we mentioned, I think regardless of his size, he's a, a good enough defender to warrant being on NBA court. Um, he's tricky because in trying to understand his shot was, was weird for me. Like, I mean, he was a decent free throw shooter. He shot like 74% for his career. Um, but like he took a lot of bad shots. His form to me, like looked like pretty inconsistent. Um, and ultimately, like, I mean, he just was not a super efficient shot taker at the rim or all around, but he was like kind of decent on like pull up mid rangers, which is, I, I know that's kind of like a shot tell a little bit, but it's odd because he went from being, I mean, he was like an almost 30% usage rate guy last year to, um, I mean, and almost his entire career at Penn state, he's been the number one option. And that's so far from what he's going to be in the NBA. So I think like, how do you even try and like, factor in okay what is this guy going to do on offense if he's not um able to shoot even just corner threes Uh, that's that's the million dollar question here um he's never been efficient at all Mm -hmm. um in the big 10 um which is concerning he's never had a his freshman year is his best shooting season and he took 32 threes in that season um so he fails the volume test and the number test um, and while he was an okay two-point shooter, there's not a, a real like single thing to point to other than the free throw percentage. Um, I think it's pretty unlikely that he's going to like remain this level of bad shooter just because um, when guys are told like this is how you stay in the league, like, if you make this shot, you'll stay in the league. Um, there's there's a pretty good return on that because mm-hmm. um, guys want to be in the league. Um, it's nice to, to live and work in the same country. Um, but to me, this also fails the do you use assets on them test. Yeah. Um, because he doesn't necessarily reach like the impact level that you would want. He's neither like an impact guy right now based on Pacers needs, but he's also not like a huge long-term potential. And that's what the UDFA process is for. These guys are like, I think we can solve the shooting issues. He has some interesting defensive numbers. Um, he has a great free throw rate. He tested poorly. So like he, may not like he doesn't have uh there's not necessarily a need or like somebody is going to take him you know below you so he just has to survive six spots of five or six spots after the pacers um so i think that this is like a guy i would have high on my udfa list but using assets on him doesn't pass the what would 55 through 60 do yeah yeah no i think that's a great point and also i forgot to ask uh where where were we at with that on naji uh, one moment. Uh, six, five, and three quarters, seven foot in shoes, seven foot and three quarters wingspan. So that's a plus seven. Oh, for Najee? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then, like, so in terms of, um, yeah, I mean, first of all, his wingspan is ridiculous. He almost like he looks like a pterodactyl when he spreads his wings. I mean, yeah. Spreads his wings, spreads his arms. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, but, uh, I mean, he's uh, he's in that like like 
you ever watched the Lawson's play? They're like a family that's yes, like that. yes. Uh, it was like Dedrick and, and yep. uh, yeah, and they have they have a younger one who I think's going to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it's Jonathan and Jonathan Arms. Like when you watch him, like just like move at all, like your brain struggles to browse it because you know his arms should end at like his like mid forearm, but there's just like another like six inches of arms. Yeah, man, it is watching guys with that kind of wingspan. Like I think a thing that people who I hate to say haven't played at a high level, but like haven't played against uh, Anthro weirdos. Is it like you have to internalize how long people's arms are? So like passing windows are so much different, and you have to calculate that for every guy because every guy's arms are different. Like for every plus four, there's like a plus nine, and that's really hard for young guys to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a it's of just immense benefit just for the mental processes of defenders to have that much extra, or you know. Teams do have to worry about like, hey, watch out! This dude has weirdly long arms. Um, yeah, and it it's not uh, like something you can point to. It doesn't necessarily show up in blocks or steals, but just the uh, the amount of offensive unease that comes from having those arms. Like you can see what like Frank Nelikina and uh, and Michael Bridges have just guarding people where you guys are like, I don't really know where these arms end. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. That one, I I really wish I'd clipped the play. Um, before NBA.com slash stats decided to stop letting you clip plays. Um, but there was this one in the bubble when Phoenix and Indiana played. TJ is one of the best off ball cutters in the league. And he totally just comes up for, comes up far corner and just cuts middle completely shakes McHale. Um, doesn't matter. He, he literally got, I think he had four steps on him, uh, and didn't even have the ball yet. Um, and Mikhail was able to freaking recover and, and get the steal. Like it was one of the most absurd, uh, just like crazy length and athleticism blends I think I've ever seen. And just like, it, it was like, it, on one hand, I'm like, that was one of the best back cuts I think I've ever seen. And then at the same time, it's also like, that's just, it just doesn't matter because of how freaking long and, and smart this guy is off ball. Yeah. Um, I can't wait for you to see Moses Moody then. Oh, that's going to be fantastic. I always, I love guys with who are great off ball. Cause I think Moses Moody's like plus eight and a half. Oh my God. Um, what class is it, he in 2021? Yeah. He okay. Well, him. He was, he was the, the two guard on the Kate Cunningham off bird teams. Okay. Well, I'll definitely, I definitely well, have to check him out then. It is, it is one of those things where you're just like, this shouldn't be legal. And then it happens. And you're like, Oh wow. That's a, should be, a, let's just make it a foul uh, too long. That's the foul yeah, too long and technical. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So I guess we can get into our next guy. I mean, this so the one guy who uh, who Caitlin did a draft profile on, um, yeah. which was uh, fantastic, by the way. If you guys have not read that, of course, be sure to go read that on Indie Cornrows. Um, Yoli Childs, who I have a lot of interesting thoughts about because he uh, obviously out of BYU, if, if, you, if you guys aren't aware. Um, I think I'll ask you first where, where you're kind of at on him and your thoughts, because then I, I'll, I'll, I'll get into mine after. Um, so with Yoli, uh, the, the Caitlin piece was sort of, uh, you know, obviously a day one read for me. Um, mm-hmm. I had, you know, three days of, of a hype cycle of uh, the second draft piece that Caitlin had written. The first one being not a serious one, which was, you know, of my immense disappointment. And so I was, you know, prepared to be hurt again. When, when she published this one, but it was a real draft piece. Um, and I read, I've always been a little uh, interested in Yoli. Um, 
he's a very strange positional fit in the modern NBA. Yeah. Um, generally watching mid-major guys, you ask like, what skill does he bring onto the floor right now? And, um, and like, is an NBA positive at that skill? Like, you know, guys can be a shooter, but they have to be an NBA, like good shooter um, to, to really bring value. And I struggle with that with Yoli. I don't really know what that's supposed to be. Yeah. Cause his, well, also too, I mean, he had one of the weirdest shooting seasons um, because I think I totally don't buy, it. I mean, he shot almost 49% from three um, on not super high volume and his free throw numbers were terrible. He shot like 54% from the line this year. Uh, and he only played 19 games too. Um, and had not really been a, 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 even an average three-point shooter before then. So like, it's kind of like, obviously, you know, that that number is going to go down regardless because nobody shoots 49% from three, but also like, does Yoli Child shoot at least average from three? That's, I think that's a big question too. Um, but I, I really like what you mentioned with just his fit in the NBA because He's like, obviously you have to be careful with comps and I always try and be careful with comps, but watching him, he is, I think he's 20, 22 or 23 and he moves like current Paul Millsap. So he's like a four or five tweener to me. Like he's obviously a really strong person, uh, very, really freaking strong. Um, but like, I just, I have a lot of questions about whether or not he can get out on the perimeter at all and guard anyone. And I think if you can't do that, um, then he's pretty much just like a backup center. And so I guess in like small ball lineups, but then that also becomes, well, okay, well, can he shoot threes? Cause if you're going to play a small ball center in, in backup lineups, you're, you're hoping you can do like a little bit more than just a regular center. Otherwise you'd probably just want somebody who's taller and longer and can rim run. Um, I, I would you kind of agree with that? Yeah. I mean, the idea that he's a center, um, is made difficult by like two things. The first one is that like he, he measured in it. Uh, six six without shoes. Oh wow! I did not realize that. Plus five and a half wingspan. Um, I measure. I list wingspan from the like the physical height, not what you mm-hmm. have in shoes, just because it makes more sense. It also makes like the freak numbers like rather than be, you know, uh, it it just lines them up a little bit better because plus six makes a, a bunch of physical sense. Where like plus seven on a quarter, or you know, uh, the other way around, it'd be plus four and a four point seven five. Just like doesn't ring mm-hmm. out the same way as plus six does. Yeah. Um, so, you know, shorter wingspan and to be a small ball five on a second unit, you basically just have to be an offensive G code. Otherwise, there's not like a reason to play you. Um, and if the shooting isn't real, he'd just be like a really good, really good, strong rebounder who's probably going to struggle in like under coverages. And do you believe that you can blitz him versus like NBA guards? Uh, I mean, no, <laughs> I, yeah, like, I don't just in. Yeah. And then watching some of his closeouts, like he was a, he struggled with, with his kind of like paths on closeouts and fouled a little bit. Um, and also I still just, I don't think that he's fast enough uh, laterally or just mobile enough to really get around. Um, so I definitely want to see him blitzing and like the, the, like, yeah, I, I don't know. And he's like a kind of smart positional defender. Like I, his foul rate obviously went down as, as he was a, uh, in college. So that's positive, but yeah, he's really not going to block a lot of shots. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just like, I don't know. And I think offensively it's weird too, because like he feasted in the post um, in at, at BYU and uh, absolutely obliterated our friend Malik Fitz whenever he had to, to have the great misfortune of guardian, because also Yoli is one of the worst cases 
of um, being <laughs> listed at 225, listed yeah. at 225. This man is at least 250 or 260. Oh, I would like, say 260. Easy. Yeah. Like I think, that, I think that they like, it's more likely to me that they wrote 270 and the dude wrote it as 220. Like yeah. that makes more sense to me than just listing him at, uh, at 220. Yeah. Cause um, I remember that, like, they just didn't update it ever. Yeah. Cause I, I, I remember I looked at his profile before I watched him play. I was like, Oh, okay. So he's going to be like, kind of lanky because Malik is listed at, at 230. I'm like, okay, like Malik's like sturdy, but he's not and like he grown man. He grown man. Malik. Oh my God. Just like tossed him. Like, which also, I guess it makes sense more with considering how big Malik isn't. Um, yeah. But that's also bad because Yoli looks bigger than Malik next to him. Not even just yeah. like height wise like, too. And he's not even that big out of shoes. No, he's not. So um, that's, that's not positive, but I mean, yeah. like Yoli, Yoli is one of my favorite, just like random numbers uh stat lines mm-hmm. he had a 37 percent usage rate he, he had a 37 yeah he had a 37 percent usage rate he uh he shot 49 percent from three obviously like the, the the number the uh the attempt number is is you know not legible and um where is my oh he has 60 percent true shooting just like if you were to search these numbers into like bart Torvik or whatever just like typing in ludicrous things he pumped and it makes a whole bunch of sense. Like if you're that hot at shooting, and you have that much usage. It's like you're going to be an absolutely dominant college player, even if it's only 19 games. Yeah. The problem is when you remove that from context and ask like how much of this works versus seven footers. Yeah, that was how like- much of that. How much of this works um, on smaller usage? And what does this look like if he shoots? You know, the numbers that he shoots in any other college. Because uh, again, like the the most important proxy for or shooting and like this is the case against Tyler Bay it's like if you don't shoot like a high volume of jumpers I assume that you believe you can't shoot so why should I believe you can shoot yeah yeah like we were talking about Miles Turner a ton before we got on here and I think that tracks as well like if you don't do it it's okay well then why there's a reason why people guard Luca way more difficultly or way more pay, pay way more attention on defense to Luca even though he's a 31 percent shooter than they pay attention to Miles who shot you know I mean, he only shot like 34.5% this year, but I mean, he's been a, an above average shooter the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I think like, just kind of in closing on Yuli, my big question is like, like you mentioned, like, can he even play against seven footers? Because he can beast in the post against guys who are 6'9 or 6'10. Um, but is he going to be able to do that against like, I almost said Nerlens Noel? I think he would actually be able to beat the crap out of Nerlens Noel because he just doesn't have the strength. Yeah. And yes, the pump fake would get Nerlens flying. But then I already, if he plays like Rashawn Holmes in the post, I don't think he's scoring over Rashawn Holmes easily. Um, and it's not really going to be efficient enough to warrant that. So I don't know. I guess I, I think I would say nay on like whether or not it would be good to to spend the asset on him. Yeah. To me, Yoli is, is again, like all of these guys, like keeping aware of what the rest of the league thinks. Like if you think that you can get, uh, a guy is not adapted for the You do everything you can to get in there. And again, as most guys would rather be them as they as they pick their spot. Like Yoli's the exact sort of dude that you don't want to draft. Does that make yeah. sense? Mm-hmm. Because you can just go around and be like, yeah, the shooting's fake, and then sign him and be like, Yeah, we think the shooting's real. We're gonna take have you ask you to do 12, threes <laughs> yeah. 12 threes a game in the G League. Are you cool with that? Yeah, cool. If he, you know, and if he if he's a if the shooting's real, you know, then he's an NBA player probably. If the shooting's not real, then you can move on um, to, you know, another G League guy or, you know, on the years it's good. He plays on the years that it's not. He doesn't. Um, it Unfortunately, at 54, it becomes asset management, like which is the, the genre of draft coverage that I don't particularly love. 
mm -hmm. uh, because you know tells people they're not going to hear their name called on draft night, which is obviously the the most important moment in most of these you know people's lives. Yeah, um, but the reality is that it's often better for people to if you're at fifty, it's better to not get drafted than it is to get drafted. You lose the moment, but you probably gain a better fit with a an organization that knows what the hell it's doing, um, who both wants you and has a, a serious plan for you. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, so, you know, obviously we go from somebody with a questionable shot to somebody who I really don't have a lot of questions about a shot. Um, Jordan Awara from Louisville. Um, he's interesting. I was watching a lot of film on him today and I'm not, I think I came away not like overly enamored and I, I have a lot of questions on him, you know, and, and kind of what he'll be in the NBA. Yeah. Um, I don't believe in Jordan. Um, I think he's like, he's what the like six to 10th best shooter in this class for you. Yeah, I guess somewhere around there. The only thing that's like, I mean, he did some stuff off movement. That's kind of nice. Like he's um, big. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, let me check the, uh, scare quote official. Um, but his wingspan is not that big, which is oh, his wingspan is actually not that bad. Uh, he measured in at like six, five and three quarters. Uh, at uh, with a six ten and a quarter wing. Oh, okay, so you, oh, yeah, so that was my bad. I thought it was six seven, so that, <laughs> that makes a difference. I mean, he's six um, seven in shoes, but like, yeah. it'd be nice if he if he was six seven and with you know without shoes, that would be a huge thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. So he's interesting because like I think, I mean, the shot's good enough where I think it'll translate in watching him. But my problem is his ability at the rim is just insanely terrible, and he just doesn't really have any explosion. Um, so I'm like. I mean, if you like, you look at a guy like Doug McDermott. Um, obviously, he's a better shooter than 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 Jordan, in my opinion. It, even coming out of Creighton, he was, um, and like because of the stuff that he did coming off screens and his ability to shoot off movement. Like Jordan can do a little bit of that, but I don't think it's been even close to the level of Doug. Um, and Doug is fantastic at attacking off closeouts. And watching Jordan, I'm not confident in that just because of his, I mean, I think he shot like 44% at the rim, which is like abysmal considering his size and um, compared to other players. Yeah. Um, so do you think he's a four, an undersized four or like a, a big three? I think he's an undersized four because watching him move laterally, um, I'm not really that confident in him guarding threes. Like I think, oh. I think like maybe he could occasionally, but uh, I don't know. Oh, what I, th I think I think that I think that he get cooked. Uh, I think yeah. there's no chance that he guards threes. Uh, yeah, that that was kind of my thought too, because uh, I was just watching him, and uh, I think it was a game that they played against Creighton this year, and I was like, oh my god, like no way, like you cannot, you cannot guard. Or no, it wasn't Creighton. What am I thinking? Uh, I can't remember what team it was, but yeah, no, he was no. I, I don't see it. Like, and I think you could maybe like squint and be like, okay, you can guard like the worst perimeter player on the other team. So, yeah. Oh, I think he gets hunted. Forward. If he's Because the thing is, is that if he's a three, you don't run pick and roll in. Yeah. Um, and this is like the real tweener position for me is figuring out whether somebody is like a wing or a big wing. Mm -hmm. um, and because like if there are three, you just don't generally like find threes and just like, yeah, we're going to just not, uh, we're going to canter them to death. Yeah. Um, but if you're a four, like, and you can't move at all, like, and I think that he's legitimately like a, a bad, and, yeah. Um, you know, for a guy with his tools, you would think that he could do better than uh, 1.3 steal percentage and 0.9 block percentage, considering that he like he should the the biggest advantage in college basketball 
is, aside from being, you know, Yudoka at spooky size, is being a four. If you're a four who can shoot, like, you should be able to do what Matthew Hurt did, where you're just like, I'm a cheat code on offense. It doesn't matter how bad I am on defense. Like, no mm-hmm. one here can guard me unless, you know, you can really, really move your feet. And then, you know, I'm too frail. But, I mean, Matthew Hurt was a 99th percentile offensive player, and he, like, wasn't that good for, well, you know, what I expected of him. And for Nora to be like, you know, a guy who runs hot and cold against a, a, a competition that's built not to stop him. Um, he better be a much better shooter than I think. And he, you know, shot 40% from, from three as a, as a freshman and as a junior in high or a junior in college. So like, we're talking about a guy who's a good shooter, but if you're talking about a negative movement guy playing a prize position who may not be absolutely elite, um, with no pathway to contribute otherwise, like not a good passer, um, uh, okay defensive rebounder, but I don't really believe in it. Um, yeah. And then somebody who's going to high point anything. Uh, to me, this just strikes me as a guy, it's like, yeah, good luck to the first person who drafts him. And if you're a smart team, like if it doesn't work out, you can you know try to be the second team or the second G League team. But there is not enough um, interests in his like second and third NBA skills. Um for me to realistically suggest him at, at 54. Okay. Yeah. I think that that makes sense to me. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think in looking at, especially in his passing, like he's not a very good passer, his handles kind of, eh, and yeah, he's never going to beat anyone off the dribble. So unless yeah, he's like, like a, a 95th percentile shooter, like what is a 95th percentile NBA shooter. And yeah. like, even then, like teams just like sprint him off the line and he's not able to like sidestep into a three. If he can't shoot a three, like hard close up, like sprint for your life. This guy can't shoot it. He's not allowed to shoot a three. You know, uh, Mikael Bridges like gets the close out of a lifetime, is able to close down the distance. How does that possession end well for the team that has him? Does he, uh, you know, he passes out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Right, but he, that, that's not, he, he's not capable, at least to me, of like picking out college rotations when people close up that hard. Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell me against, you know, like 25% better athletes and like 50% better organized schemes that's going to happen. That's an extremely difficult projection for me in, you know, one of the most valuable archetypes. So there's a lot of guys that I think I would like more. Yeah. Well, I think the the next guy we have even more athletic concerns about, um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by him. Uh, Trace Tinkle out of Oregon state, obviously he's older than I am, which is saying, well, I mean, that's not really saying that much. I'm only 23, but he's 24 and a half. Uh, could be is, is he older than Merrill? Uh I mean I know I know Merrill's 24, but like those are some I think some they're about gentlemen. the same age actually. Okay. Yeah, those are some elderly gentlemen. Uh, yeah. But I'm I'm where are you at on Tinkle? Because I know, you know, I was talking to Ben Pfeiffer earlier this week and he actually really likes Trace Tinkle. Um and I like I think they're like it took me a minute. Like I the first time I put him on, I watched like two clips and I was like, oh wow, I should just move on to the next prospect. But I was like, no, I need to do my due diligence. And like the more I watched him, I think the more I saw some stuff where I was like, okay, I can, I kind of see it. Like um, he's not going to beat anybody off the dribble, but if he's like, I, I just picture him working with, with Domas on like a bench unit. Like um, I think he could do some stuff as a secondary playmaker. Cause he's a, he's a smart passer. Um, he drives really well. Um, but, and he actually finished decently, but I don't, I don't know if I really 
see him as a three, I think is my biggest thing. Well, not that I don't really like, there's no way in hell that he plays the three. Like he is, if Jordan Nawara is bad laterally and not much of an athlete, Trace Tinkle is like squared that. Like, I, I just don't see how he plays the three in the NBA. And I don't know if he's really like big enough to play the four. Cause I think he's only six, seven. Um, and he's not like the strongest dude in the world either. So I, I'm not, I'm not really super sold on him um, being an NBA level athlete. Yeah. There's uh, I mean, extreme athleticism concerns are probably it like the best way to say it like he's one of the guys that like you just wanted him to be on a different team because Mm -hmm. he carried a ludicrous uh uh offensive burden for a guy who you're like okay like this is the last time this is ever gonna happen like watching him and like this like he did an extremely good job of it but it's not really preparation for what he's gonna do at any level of professional basketball yeah um and that makes it difficult to like parse out you know what's the role and what's him um as like you know he had like a 20 percent assist percentage i would be shocked if he got half that like uh, not because he's a particularly you know bad passer i think that i like his passing more than almost everybody else on this list but he's not going to have to run an offense um, and that damaged his three-point shooting percentage he only shot 34 percent um uh as a senior um, or he's a redshirt junior. I forget which one. I know he has. The- I think he's a. He's got to be a redshirt if he's twenty four and a half. Like I, I think he's somewhere. Yeah, he has to be. He has a. He has a game. With, he has a, a year with six games. I just didn't know if they uh, called him like a medical redshirt or, mm-hmm. or moving on or whatever. Um, I think he's a much better shooter than that. I think it, it's probably more realistic to say like he's a high thirties guy just because he had to take uh, creation jumpers. Yeah, yeah, he took some crazy shots. Which, like, aside from Marcus Howard, just damage your damage your three-point shooting percentage. Marcus Howard, like, only takes those shots, so mm-hmm. he's insanely good at them. He can't do, you know, basically anything else. But, you know, he will maintain a ridiculous percentage on the sort of things that damage Trace, Trace Tinkle's shots. Um, I don't hate, like, the defense, weirdly. I think that he's actually a good rotation defender. Um, he's going to get murdered in space. Yeah. Um, because he can't lose feet. Um like I think that the, the cheap comparison is like you could use him like Joe Ingles. That's okay. So yeah, I'm not gonna lie. That was in watching him, my first two thoughts were uh slower Kyle Anderson, kind of like Joe Ingles, just in the way that he yeah. moves. Like he's pretty sh- like shifty is the wrong word because he's not quick at all, but like yeah. the way that he moves with the ball feels very Joe Ingles. I mean Paul George will tell you that uh that that Joe Ingles is quite shifty. Um, <laughs> yes, he will. Um but like I think the most encouraging thing for for Trace is that like he had a forty percent free throw rate, mm-hmm. um, which for a guy who's like slow, um, not athletic, uh, not particularly like physically imposing despite being six seven, is phenomenal. Like you'd think just looking at sort of like our description of him that he just like couldn't get to the cup, but that's actually where most of his efficiency came from. I think that it actually like saved him from looking. Uh, like an insanely bad uh, uh, efficiency guy because um, mm-hmm. the, the shooting numbers took a dip. Um, he was actually like a 58% true shootage guy uh, for his junior and sophomore season. So I think that, you know, the the idea that the shooting and, and general tough shots just went out a little more this year. Do I think that he's worthy of using an asset? Like maybe, I think this might be my first yes. Um, because I think that there are people who really, really, really believe in his shooting. Um, 
that might be a little too on brand for the Pacers uh, liking, <laughs> liking of white dudes. Yeah. Um, but like for the most part, like this, this checks all, every box except for the athleticism box. Um, but I mean, you can always find like nuts athletes. You could get Saban Lee in here tomorrow on EVFA. And like that dude's just going to live at the rim in the G League. So I think that it's uh, figuring out how much you want the athletic second rounder to participate in your next rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're you know, projecting that like TJ is not going to be there or like, you know, you have to be sent to the doghouse or however you want to phrase it, or um, that Oladipo will get down, broken down to component parts or, you know, Aaron Holiday won't be there next year, most likely um, since he's, going to every single team according to his agent um it's if you want a an athletic guy to step in it right away like tinkle's not your option but if you're seeing is this more like a grinded out team where miles turner provides spacing with this shooting because this is the year i swear that miles turner is going to shoot <laughs> you and me both yeah uh well i mean like i have the high school years so i'm I, you're on year six i'm on year eight. Oh man of, of shoot a three, you coward Miles Turner. Um, <laughs> and like, I swear he's going to, he just has to get the mental breakthrough of like missing. I want to see him shoot. Like, I don't, I don't want to see him shoot five. I want to see him shoot seven a game. I don't care. Oh yeah. Just no, do I, I would like to shoot him. See him. Shoot he needs no, I, my goal is send him to do like, do, do some kind of European soccer thing where you like, just uh like loan a player, loan him yes. to loan him to Dallas and let Rick Carlisle do the Chris Stapps Porzingis method and just force him into being like an elite floor space or whether he wants to be it or not. Um, yeah. I mean, this is why D'Antonio is going to be wonderful because like D'Antonio would just give him the shooter speech. I don't know if you're familiar with what D'Antonio says, apocryphally says to people. I am not. Um, if the, Oh, <laughs> uh, like guys who are afraid, he goes, I, I believe it's uh, let that expletive fly. If you won't, I'll find somebody else who will. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, um, wow. That would like, be fantastic. Blip, I mean, it, without going into too far of uh, the Miles Turner thing, um, because I'm sure that, you know, you need to devote even more time to it. I do. Um, uh, you just sometimes guys need a coach who just looks them in the eyes and be like, I really don't care if you miss this three. And I think that that's what Miles needs. It's just a guy being like, I would love it if you missed eight threes today. Just yep. get him up. I, I can promise care. you that guy was not Nate McMillan. <laughs> so, no. yes, I'm I'm and, hopeful that it's Nate Bjorkgren. And different, you know, uh, different things affect different things differently. Like, it's difficult to, to assume that a coach is going to work for everybody at every developmental stage that they're mm-hmm. on. And, like, Miles, you know, has other things to work on. But, like, his next coach better be able to look him into his eyes and be like, Hey, so if Joel Embiid's getting these threes up, I'm not sure what your excuse is. And yeah. whatever, you know, mental thing you got going on, just like, uh, we're playing, uh, you know, God, who's going to be awful next year? We're playing Atlanta. Like, we're going to score regardless. So, like, hey, shoot 10. No, I like that thinking. And I'm hopeful it happens, man, but I'm I'm not sure. I, I, I cross my fingers and hope to death every year, but we'll see this year. Um, whether or not he's on the roster, I don't know. Regardless, I love Miles as a person, so I'm going to watch him yeah. wherever he goes. But um, just a great dude. But uh, lastly, on Tinkle, I think um, in on his defense, I do. I agree, he's going to get cooked in space. But one thing I'm kind of interested in, um, if he goes to a place that plays some zone, and I think the Pacers are going to wrinkle in with some zone this year because obviously Bjorkman's coming from uh, Toronto, which I think was second in zone usage last year after Miami. Um, 
I really liked him in zone when, when they flashed it at Oregon state, like he has good hands, like pretty good instincts off ball. Like he's, I, I think he actually, he didn't have like a massive block rate, but like, he's good at tipping. Um, yeah. So like, I, I really like the idea of him and in, in like just playing passing lanes. And like you mentioned, like being just a rotation defender. Yeah. I mean, old smart dude, like it's, it's a perfect fit for, uh, for the idea. If you're going to play zone, like not everybody's going to be Matisse where they just like, you know, have the ability to, to magically appear in passing lanes. Mm-hmm. But if you can get deflections and uh, get things going in transition, even if that's the only way that you play fast, there's still extreme value in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So we did get one guy. So I, I know we want to hit on a couple other dudes before we, we get out of here, just kind of like a little bit quicker. Um, the first guy I have to bring up because you, you brought him to my attention and I think he's the guy if, if he somehow falls to 54, um, I think the Pacers have to take him regardless of like, I still think the team needs to have to get a real like combo forward on the team. Um, but if Nate Hinton is at 54 and the Pacers don't pick him, I will throw a remote through the TV screen to be completely honest. You watched the uh, eight minute video, didn't you? I watched the eight minute video multiple times. <laughs> He's is, so um, good. He's just it, like, oh, it should be set to like Chopin. And oh my down, God, like, that'd be fantastic. Times. The raindrops um, prelude. Yep. Just there's not really an explanation. Like it's my favorite, like micro skill in this draft of like the moment that a shot goes up and like Nate Hinton looks to his left and looks to his right and just like finds a person to be like, I'm stealing this ball from you. And then he just like appears and he gets it and he's not that big and he's like not that explosive, but he's not that long, but he winds up with more basketballs than like any person I might have ever seen. Like it is he has magnetic hands, and that's the only like is the only explanation I can come across for how he gets long rebounds like nobody else. Yeah, and it's so weird too because it's none of it's off second jumps. Um, he's not tipping the ball to himself, um, and it's not just chasing boards. Like obviously he's chasing the board, but he's not like in the bad connotation sense, like MVP season Russ. Like he's not just like stealing a board from someone else on his team. Like. I mean, his tracking ability is insane. Like a mouse is in a field and he's a hawk. Like he just knows where it's going. And I I just like, I love it. it like, I think in terms of him, like, obviously I don't think he's ever going to be a star player. None of the guys we're talking about, like that's not, that's not their trajectory. But I think in terms of a guy who like shot pretty well and like has a decent looking shot, at least as a standstill guy or like a catch and shoot guy um, and a f- pretty fun defender. Like I really like him as an off ball a defender and like plays the pass on things really well. Um, just totally hawks the ball. Um, yeah. He, I mean, again, if you're going to play zone, um, Nate Hinton would be like one of the five guys across the whole draft that I would want um, just because of his instincts. What do you think uh, about his had, ability as an on-ball defender? Um, I mean, he's limited by being like six, four, six, five ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you mostly want to use him as a, like a pesterer. Um, and like have him like if you're gonna ice screens, like have him just like you know annoying guards as much as possible mm-hmm. and trying to find weird passing um angles. I mean, he had a 2.8 steal rate, um, which is the same as what Kawhi Leonard had at San Diego State. <laughs> so, you mean Nate Hinton is Kawhi Leonard in hiding 100% in every single way? Um, I, I like the shooting, uh, like a lot. He took 123s and made 38% of them. Um, it is the sort of player that like 
I think that we talked about athleticism being applied in a lot of different ways. Like Nate Hinton is super athletic. It's just not in the ways that show up in windmills. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're looking at like the Bjorken hire and it's like, okay, so we need a guy who fits this, you know, larger zone idea. Like there is like, you sort of have Jakar and, and Edmund to like roam a little bit, but like, I wouldn't say those are their essential skills. Like they're both athletic dudes who have like some ball skills, but to just add another, option even if it's for you know four minutes a game or if it's like you know six possessions in a row like that brings value to a team that needs to make playoffs yeah yeah no i agree and like i don't i don't think he's ever going to be a starter but um i mean i guess anything's possible but i don't want to put a cap on a guy but just in terms of like i i don't i guess it depends on how the shot falls and he has other questions offensively like he's not really an awesome dribbler and and playmaker or anything but i mean I think he's somebody who could definitely contribute to a rotation early. Yeah. Um, I sort of have like two rules um, when it comes to to guys like this. It's like trust their motor mm-hmm. and don't ever bet against Kelvin Sampson once in your life. <laughs> um, it's just like uh, Kelvin Sampson's player development program is nuts. Um, and a guy who had a nine offensive rebound percentage at six, five, um, and has like a, a very solid growth. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so let's put it out like this. He averaged more rebounds as a six, five guard than miles Turner averaged rebounds as, as a six eleven center last year. So that's, that's something, but then again, a lot of guys are average more rebounds than miles. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, it's also like he plays in the American conference and Houston is like the best team by far. And a lot of times he's fighting his own offensive players for like, who's going to get these rebounds. Um, so like people can point to that be like, oh, you know, it's a lower level competition, but like when you start that eight minute video, it will take you about four. It's fantastic. And I will definitely link it in, (laughs) in the post. I was, I was, I sort of had an internal timer to be like, Hey, you should, before we talk, you need to watch some data. Um, I I was guessing on how long it was going to take you to come back and be like, well, I have a favorite player in this draft because man, it is hard not to love. He's it now, man. Like I just, I can't, I can't unsee it. He's so fun. It's so loud. Like. Uh, you know, when uh, I have a series called the heuristic, which is about, you know, scouting players highlights mm. and what you can take away from it. Like part of it is just like it should, whatever they're good at should be as loud as possible. I'm not sure how many single skills are louder uh, than Nate Hinton's, um offensive rebounding ability. Yeah, I agree. So he's a definite. Yes. I, I would put it. Do you think he's even going to fall to 54? Uh, he might, I mean, I think that he's uh, a, a wonderful interview and he, that he's done extremely well in his draft pro, uh, process. I know he was a guy who like was seen as a straight UDFA as he started this mm-hmm. and it's just been slowly climbing as, um, you know, draft Twitter, uh, helps the mentions of, of, uh, assistant coaches and, and player development coaches across the country. Um, so I think that there's a chance, um, but with this draft, there's going to be so much movement around for specific guys for specific team fits that, somebody who has like this kind of odd skill set, like may fall just because the people who are moving up and down don't need a, um, a, a six, five offensive rebounding guru. Who can shoot. That's a, that's a very fair point. Um, well, did you want to talk about anyone else before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I have some like quick hitters. Um, Sam Merrill. That's is probably like the best shooter you're going to get at 54. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to get there. Uh, he's older, but like just absolutely flamethrower. Yeah. He's to me, he's one of the five best shooters in this draft, um, which is weirdly where this draft is stocked. Um, he's 24. 
Um, he's not particularly athletic, but he's a much, much, much better defender than you would think for a 20. Yeah, I, I saw some preliminary stuff on him when I was watching film on Fitz, and I actually really liked him. Yeah, he's like he's doing a great job top blocking out of uh, out of shooters. He's closing down big spaces, which is like the thing that uh, mid major guys are awful at mm-hmm. because they don't have the athleticism or the ability to uh, really like stride out. He's chopping down these big spaces uh, pretty easily. Um, he to me he passes the athleticism threshold for for his archetype, and again, mm-hmm. just the absolute gun on him. Um, there's you know a lot of Aaron Neesmith conversation because Aaron Neesmith. Uh, had his season cut short when he was shooting the greatest three point season of all time. Yeah. Uh, he's a way better shooter than Aaron. Is. Yeah. Like absolutely no question. Well, and he's done it like every year too. Every single year um, on. And again, Aaron e. Smith, uh, it doesn't shoot off the dribble. Sam Murrow will take some things that would make Trey Young blush. <laughs> or it's just like, yeah, this is what I'm taking. And everybody in this gym is going to have to live with it when I hit it. Um, it is uh at 54, not going to answer the athleticism question, but he is a guy who will contribute. Yeah. Um, uh, another name, CJ Ellaby, um, who's probably going to be available. Funky motion, but he has, he's big. Uh, I think he's measured in at 6'6. Six, six. I forget the wingspan. I think it was like plus three. Um, not 100% sure. He was Washington State, right? Yes. Um, I have not gotten to his film yet, but I, I've heard good things. Yeah. Uh, six, five and a half, uh, without shoes, six, seven, uh, wingspan. So, you know, it's okay. Uh, you know, Washington, it's, uh, analytics get down. No, I, I, okay. Uh, so their coach, coach Smith, um, uses an all in one metric gathered from practice. Oh no. Playing rotations. Oh no. Oh, it's, it's, it's so great. It's like, um, it's, tempered to the defense that they run and like the decisions that you have to make. Um, so there's uh, cameras installed and then the GS go through and, and catalog everything. Um, and so all of their guys are like insanely good for what you would expect, like a, an extremely hard situation to recruit in at, up in Wazoo. Um, at deflections, like they're all like, because they've been wired to play make because that's the way to get playing time. Yeah. Like they all like are trying to be Devin Vassell. It's oh, that's fantastic. Um, it's a place that I like, I really believe in the uh, player development process, just listening to mm-hmm. interviews from him and LB has gotten better. He has a lot of like one dribble and pull up hang dribble creation, which like, I think is interesting. Um, the jumper is a slingshot off his shoulder, like somewhat similar to Lonzo, but he doesn't have issues getting shooting left or right. Yeah. Um, but he is a, a guy who like has some creation upside and, uh, you know, again, pop, like pops for us. You know, six five and a half guy without shoes, like pops in uh blocks and steals, partially because of him, but also because he like he got better every single time. But I, I generally saw him. Um and uh when I wrote a breakdown for him, I was like, Yeah, this is a guy I would hundred percent draft. Uh but on a guy on this development curve with you know deep range and uh defensive instincts, like to me, that's a guy you take at fifty-four because you want to have those type of guys locked in. Yeah, and, you know, the the plug and play sort you don't necessarily need to have um, my next uh, upside bet is Josh Hall. Um, six foot six, six eleven wingspan. Um, I think he's 20. He did a prep year instead of going to college. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to NC state. Uh, he's a straight four, um, but he's like a straight offensive four. Um, 
was really capable of filling it up. Shoots from a number of different uh, uh, versatility options. Um, I, I actually like the jumper a bunch. Uh, very athletic for um, for his frame. He's really bad on defense. Yeah, because he didn't have to. Like, and I think that's an important distinction. I think that he's an okay defender when he locks on. Like, he makes some okay reads. Um, his instincts are all right. But like, this is a project, and this is a project who you know has been treated as a scorer his whole life. Yeah. So if you have an athletic scorer who you know can fill it up in a number of different ways, like it's not entirely dissimilar to TJ Warren. It's mm-hmm. like a thing that people reach to a lot because he likes he likes his floater. But he's like way more willing to shoot at the same age. Um, so this would be a guy who like has a bunch of buzz. He may not be there at 54 because this is the genre of bets people like to make. Yeah. Below 45. But I would feel good uh if I got him at 54, just because you know, six six uh big wings who can shoot and with athleticism, uh with large wingspans are not well, a common worth the shot. Yeah. yeah. Um uh, Jalen Harris is probably worth a mention. You wanted to find an athlete. Jalen Harris um, just talked to God for a little bit when he checked into his uh, combine. He's uh, a yeah, Nevada, right? Yes, uh, he's a combo guard. Um, he he scores and he is athletic as hell. Uh, um, that would solve the problem real fast. Six two with like a six seven wingspan. Um, but yeah, uh, absolute blur. Um, that is a guy who. If you wanted to play zone, um, that is the sort of gentleman I would like jumping passing angles at the top, uh, whether it's next to Brogdon or next to Oladipo or, you know, Lamb, TJ McConnell, I guess. Um, oh, interesting. Um, the last one is uh, uh, KJ Martin, um, another guy who did a prep year at uh, IMG. Um, when he was a senior in high school, I thought he was better than Cassius Stanley. Like oh, wow. A good okay. amount. Yeah. Uh, because he is, uh, I wouldn't say more athletic, but he is uh, more half-court athletic than Cassius. Because he jumps off two feet. Yeah. And he might be the fastest person to the rim in this class off two feet. Measured in at 6'6", six, six, uh, with a 6'7 wingspan. Um, but he is extraordinarily explosive off two feet. Um, and uh, when Montbird played Sierra Canyon his senior year, the Sierra, the Montbird people were talking about him like he was like the most reckless defender they've ever seen. Yeah, because like they somebody would go for a layup and he would just float up with, off two feet like you wouldn't think he'd be close. Thump off the glass. Um, great defensive rebounder for his size. Uh, this dude would be an absolute monster in a G League setting. Yeah, um, again, like the bloodlines are what they are, but. I don't know if you have to spend draft a- assets on him, but mm-hmm. he's certainly um, – he's a guy that I really like and other people seem to be like, yeah, you know, the feel. But his athleticism really, really stands out and it translates in a way that I believe will work, especially if Miles shoots. If Miles <laughs> shoots, you could get away from playing him at, like, the three or the four. Yeah. Um, and, like, again, this is a project, so why not take an interesting swing? Um, yeah. If he's yeah. a if he's a UDFA guy, like he's a UDFA guy, but like no one has ever gotten in trouble for missing on F fifty five. It's just not a place that like you're like oh you look you, you signed it to all stars, we won seventy games, but you took this guy at fifty seven. It's <laughs> awful. I hate it. It's yeah. like, it never gets mentioned. Nobody cares. And like even if you miss at fifty five and then get a good UDFA guy, your process is fine. 
So okay. I think that viewing this as more like a coterie of guys that you're probably going to walk away with like three or four of them. Mm. And one of them happens to just be with a second round contract. Um, that's more determined on their individual developmental curve. Okay. Well, yeah, that totally makes sense. K- KJ is someone I need to watch. Um, again, I, like I mentioned with Josh Hall, like I tried to watch high school film and I was like, so unsure of like what I was even looking at. Like, it was just like hard to kind of gauge what I was like trying to do. And it's something I'm going to, I'll get into it for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly fun. Um, I guess the last one and like, I don't think he's there, but like it, I have to mention it because I've mentioned it every time I get, it's like, if Killian Tilly is there at 54, like you sprint and you can get Killian Tilly. It yeah. doesn't matter. Like it, it, it might say his legs don't work anymore, but like you draft him at 54 just in case, because he was the best player in college basketball for like four years. And yeah. the only thing that kept him from being, I don't know, like if Killian Tilly's healthy, he's like a top 10 pick. Yeah. No, he is so thing. good. I've watched him okay. too. And like, it's just, yeah, if he, I just from everything I've seen, I don't think he's going to fall to 54. Maybe he will with that listed wingspan. Oh my God. But it's the um, injuries are the main thing. Like, yeah. if there, every medical staff has a different interpretation on injuries. Like, I mean, you guys have this Miles. Like, there are people who would not draft Miles because they didn't believe they could solve his. And Indiana was like, they, they found a guy who was like, oh, yeah, I can give me two months. No problem. Same thing with like Kawhi. People who thought they couldn't fix his jumper or that he sweated through his jersey or he sweated through his uh his suit or you know, whatever weird reason you draft Kawhi. Um but there was somebody who believed they could fix it. So yeah. finding the specific beliefs like finding and uh collating the specific beliefs of an organization into like an actionable philosophy is essential. If you believe that you can fix ankles injuries, like you take Killian to if you believe that like big man shooting is truly rare, you get Killian Tilly. Because even if you say keep, you know, Demodis and, and Miles and like say, you know, you like the way that looks sort of works, but you need a, a big shooter or like you want to replicate it with Goga sort of. Mm-hmm. You're Killian out there and get somewhat of the same looks. It's just that now you have a guy who's like one of the five best shooters in this draft throwing daggers from three and he can pass. He's so good. And he's not like the worst defender either. No, I, I actually think he's like a solid defender, especially knowing that he has a six, eight wingspan. Like, I'm like, wow, I actually like it. Your defense more considering the, the tools that you're walking around with. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those things that like jumps off the page. Uh, oh, Jesus. Tyrell Terry has a plus 2.5 wingspan. Wow. That's a, it's unfortunate. No, I mean, I'm, I've, he has a plus a quarter wingspan. He's, he's oh wow, six, that's it. Six one and a half in his wingspan. It's listed at six one and three quarters. Oh, poor boy. Yeah, poor poor boy. <laughs> that's it's, that's rough. It's very tough. Wow, um, we're about to have a Trey Young defensive season coming in. Yeah, I mean, like I don't think it's that bad, but like the idea that he's going to be some sort of uh, like defensive stalwart or like you know mega creator, like I, he's visually smaller than Trey to me. Yeah. Trey might only be 6'1", but, like, Trey, like Trey's stockier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, other interesting names that may or may not be there, uh, Jay Scrub, like, score. Um, he was uh, Juco, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't think he was the best Juco guy, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, he, he fills him up in a hurry. He needs to work on the jumper. Uh, you know, as a score-first guy, there's always issues with, with defensive versatility. Um I have a name I want to throw out actually okay. um, who I just got onto yesterday. Um, and he's just one, like, obviously I think there've been Siakam comparisons that are obviously reckless and unfair. We're talking Lamine Jeanne. We are talking Lamine Jeanne. 
uh, just watching him is like wild to me. I know he only, he played against one power five team his entire time at Cal state Northridge, but like, it doesn't even matter to me. Like watching him play, like the dude's just a good basketball player. Like, I don't know what he is. I don't know what he's going to do in the NBA, but I mean, him grabbing and going in the open court is just like amazing. And he's such a good rebounder. And like, I mean, I think he mostly played center for them and he's like six, seven. Um, he's okay. He, he sort of played center, but like he did my favorite thing in college, which is where a program bends to the will of its, or the bends to the will and talents of his best player. Like, yeah. Oh, we're going to see this next year with Scotty Barnes in Florida state and uh USF with Caleb Murphy, where they're just like, he played Lamine Janae position. He was the center. He was also the point guard. Um, he also got like top one, four flat ISOs. Like there's not an explanation for what he did. He just did him. And that's when college is the most fun for me. It's not when like, you know, like, you know how much I would give to watch Cassius Winston get a team where it's just he did oh, man. full Cassius Winston stuff. Not this like I shoot sometimes thing. Like I want him to shoot 23s a game. Who cares? Greatest shooter in college basketball. Shoot the dang ball. Um, with Lamine. I think that the the Siakam comparison it makes sense because he like he also looks like he's falling over a bunch. Yeah, and it makes you know it impossible for dudes to stay in front of him. Um, he's really old uh, for his grit. I think he's like twenty two. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Um, how do you feel about the shooting? I personally like I I don't. I don't really see a lot with the shot so far, but again, like Pascal was kind of the same coming out. And I, I hate that. I just used the Pascal comparison again, but like, I just think like watching him, like I like the, the, the idea of him growing as a defender with an organization is like really tantalizing to me. Um, like, and just the rebounding is what stands out to me so much. Like somebody at, at his size, like at six, seven, like rebounding the way he does. Like I, what, where are you at on the shot though? Okay, but how do you translate the the offensive rebounding though? That's fair. Because I mean, he had a twenty five point five defensive rebound rate, but he also had a six percent offensive rebound rate, which is, to be fair, two thirds of Nate Hinton. So two thirds of the offensive rebound of the Nate Hinton. That is so crazy to think about. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I mean, like, wh- what do you what do you chalk that up to? Um. I don't know. I mean, I, I, they weren't playing like they weren't like aggressively trying to get back in transition defense. So, um, I mean, I guess you could say he's getting double teamed, so it was harder for him to get an offensive rebound. But but he's also time, playing in a, yeah, a he's playing team. against like one of the worst Division One conferences. So yeah, he's playing in the Big West, which is um, like you know it is what it is. But at the same time, like for a guy who's like six seven with probably like a seven footish wingspan. Yeah. Um, like it doesn't look big. It's not like super freaky, but like he's not, he's not center sized and he's, yeah. not, you know, he's not anywhere close to center sized. Um, I would, he took an okay amount of, sh- of threes. He took 52 across 18 games, which is like, you know, that's the same thing we were talking about with Eoli. Yeah. Um, I just, he has a good touch around the rim. I, I will say that like, I, I like, quite a bit of it and he uh, finished a lot unassisted for for how big he is mm-hmm. um again 40 dunks for for a six foot seven guy is good there's this is the sort of guy you want to take at 54 this isn't my personal favorite just because like how many developmental bigs does this roster need it's a great fucking question man like, yeah so like i guess like the idea with him is like okay maybe he turns into some like 
super rangy four who does like just defensive nightmare stuff is a monster in transition to start off and develops his offense, you know? Um, but at the same time, like, how do you, how do you even prioritize that and make that work? But I don't how know. Do I just work think, with them specifically. Cause like, there's ways to make that work, but like, yeah, with this uh, roster, Alizé is, like, is 24. Like, is he staying? Is he sticking around? Is, uh, are we, are we continuing? Like, is Goga going to continue to not play? Is TJ yeah, if, if Goga continues to not play, I'll lose my mind, man. I I really like Goga, but like TJ Leaf shouldn't wear a uniform next year. Yeah, they're not going like, to cut him though. Right, because it costs money to do that. But like, this is the issue: is like if you select a guy like this, what is the? He's not going to play this year. I mean, he's older, but he's not that much older. Um, but like in three years, what is the plan for him to like? earn real minutes and this goes back to like institutional development and you know what you believe is improvable about players like you better really believe you can fix the shooting yeah because otherwise like he has to beat out like four centers on this roster because like jakar's kind of a center so like jakar is a jakar i think actually or jakar's yeah, I mean, yeah you just see he's like i love jakar actually like one of my I, favorite games in the league i do too um can i ask a question uh that uh, since we're finishing up, that I, I would love to. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, what are your thoughts on Brian Bowen thus far? Oh, man. that's Well, I think he hasn't hit a three in the NBA yet in the minutes he's played. Um, I don't really he, love Brian He played Brian 30 Bowen. minutes, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. 31 minutes. He went 0 for 2. So, like, what is, what is your opinion about on the G League? Because like Brian Bowen fell off the you know the the larger national radar uh, after the um, the incident, yeah. Um, after the underpay, we yeah, we love we love Rick Pitino, don't we? Um, yeah. Look, yeah, we can all we can all agree he was worth far more than that number. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know where I'm at with Brian. Like, I I don't really think he's going to be an incredible defender. He's not like super athletic. Um, at least like not laterally. I know he can like dunk a little bit. Um, but unless he becomes like a, a really plus shooter who can do some stuff off the dribble, like I, I don't really know what um, not to, I don't want to sound reductive and like be like an asshole, but like, what's the point to, to Brian? Um, Cause he's already kind of old. Like, I mean, he's like 22 and a half, like just considering that this was only his first year and he's already yeah. almost 23. Like that's kind of an older guy. Um, so I guess, it's just like, what, what are you seeing from him? I personally, I mean, I haven't watched enough of the Mad Ants play, um, but I don't like, I mean, the fact that he hasn't stood out and he even got started in a game this year and he didn't take a, like, he didn't hit a three. Like, I don't know. That kind of bothers me. Like, yeah. I, I think like if you get that opportunity, like, I don't know, like that it's just, it, I it, he's had opportunities to produce and it just hasn't happened yet. I mean, I think that he still carries the reputation that he has from high school as a shooter. Yeah, it's never really borne out. Like he's his jump rope looks better than it goes, mm-hmm. and he's also not like a volume three point taker. Um, in a lot of ways, he feels uh, like a '90s like wing. Yeah, or like he takes threes, but it's not like this. It's not the gunning that you would want from a guy who like is a good free throw shooter. But it's also not like the. It doesn't really make a ton of sense for his archetype to only take a certain amount of threes. Yeah. Um, because he isn't presenting a pathway with the assists or like the, the 
the defense really. Like he's a good, he's a Lalu kid, so he's like a good rotational defender. But it's not like he's not the frame to just like throw him on somebody. Um, so I think that like my concern with this roster really is how many um, strange developmental pathways there are. Yeah. Uh, and obviously you have a different coaching staff, so like it resets, but you know, people have some costs in their development. And so finding guys who like can plug and play developmentally, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like, you know, doesn't have to work on the court per se, but just guys that allow everyone to get into a role where they're moving towards what they need to be to, to provide value on a playoff team mm. is going to be really important for this team. And I don't necessarily know how many of those guys exist and like, I could name off the top of my head that would put like, unless miles starts shooting, which like would love, but like, this is a roster that doesn't necessarily create a synergistic development. Yeah, no, they're just in a really funky place. A lot of combo guards and small wings who can't play up and a lot of bigs. And then you have yeah. TJ Warren is like the only real forward on the roster. So and it depends on which TJ Warren. Yeah, exactly. Like but TJ it, Warren, a guy I love, but like there's different versions of him and some of them are extremely unhelpful. Yeah. Yeah, like if TJ is willing to take the if if like again, I'm not going to expect him to be scoring like 26 points a game, but if TJ is willing to take the movement shots that he was and just space the way that he was, um, fantastic. Then you can play the three. But at the same time, like if he's not doing that, I'm like, okay, I'd rather have you play the four because you can you have more of an advantage against some of the guys there instead of playing against Jimmy Butler because clearly he was and again he was playing the four at that point too. So like I don't know, but. Um, and you also have seven centers. So, yeah. like, if you're playing wings down to the four, like, there's not enough wings to backfill the roster. And, like, that's where guys like Bowen theoretically work. But they also don't, like, they haven't been developed to slot into that place. And also, like, having him play six games doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense. Yeah. Because, like, if he's a G League guy, like, you, if he's your young guy, your young wing, you need to play him more to – see how that works. Like you had TJ playing before, so slot in a wing next to him and see like, hey, you need to shoot the ball. That sort of um, developmental imagination is what I would like to see more of from this team. It's not necessarily how they play, but just reallocating how they spend their time developing their young guys. Yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So in other words, draft Nate Hinton and play him at the three next to TJ playing the four and see what the hell happens. Um, Mission accomplished. We've reached yes. the end point I desired. That's all we need, Nate Hinton. I think, dude, yeah, I'll be honest. I think for me, it's Nate Hinton. Nate Hinton or Najee Marshall. Nate Hinton isn't there, take Najee. I, I like both. I think both provide yeah. like interesting avenues, but Nate is just like, just watching him. He's just such an outlier in, in what he does. He's like too fun, man. So I would, I think I agree, like, obviously I'm still like learning this stuff. I'm not like even close to the level you are, but if somebody pops that much watching on film and it, you don't, you just can't stop watching it. Like I literally watched that video like three times. Like it's just, I think that it just shows if there's something there, you have to take it. So draft Nate Hinton. I think that if, if Kevin Pritchard listens to this, which he probably doesn't, but if he does draft Nate if Kevin, if Kevin Pritchard were smart, he would, and that's an endorsement. Oh, I appreciate that PD. Um, well, of course, I mean, you already mentioned you're dropping the heuristic, uh, the last heuristic soon. It's the last one, correct? Yeah, uh, this is the last low fee don't eat. The last heuristic came out last week. That was on uh, Cash and uh, Cash Malachi and uh, Teo. Okay, was, no, I meant to say the uh, the Lamello piece. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Lamello is out. 
I'm going to try to get it out by the draft. Um, TBD. I really hope I do. Yeah. Well, I'm sure regardless when it comes out, I'm going to be psyched to read it. It'll be good. Um, what else, even outside of basketball, what's cool in your life that you want people to know about or, or what, what's exciting or anything? Um, let's see. What is exciting or cool? Um, um, bought a pair of uh, the the Simpsons uh, Vans collaboration. So oh shit! Some, okay, some, that's uh, pretty rad. Itchy and scratchy uh, joints that I'm walking around in. Um, definitely get some looks. Uh, really appreciate those looks. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, if people um, you know like my get down, uh, you can follow me on Twitter on Above the Break Three. Um, I have a Patreon where I store all my writing, um, which I will have linked down below for yeah. sure. Uh, everything is free. Um, it's really important to me that um, like the, the little bit of knowledge that I do have can share as much as possible. And I'd hate to put it behind a paywall. Um, if you do have a couple extra bucks, it's really appreciated. Um, I just reached the uh, my last Patreon goal that uh, allowed me to pay for ESPN plus and a number of high school subscriptions. So once the draft finishes, I can start working on 2021, 2022 and trying to get some of the high school 2020 uh one seniors to college since they're struggling with recruiting right now. Um, and then the next goal is uh, I'm going to buy uh, Tillman Fertitta's book and read segments out of it. <laughs> so yeah, I think we're like 50% of the way there. And I'm, really Oh, that's excited. fantastic. Dude, I'll buy the book for you, man. I would love to hear that. I, I'm still working on a voice. Like if there, if, if like, if you think I should do it in Tillman's voice, uh, there's an angle I should yeah, try to see, do. That would be tough to listen to because I hate Tillman. So yeah, no, that's that's the thing though. Like I'm just trying to make it as enjoyable for, or not enjoyable for the people because like I'm gonna get him to to block me. Like I think I'm gonna like make like get quotes out of it and like turn them into like fake motivational posters and tweet them at him. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Um, yeah, um, we'll see. I just like every every month I do. Uh, well, every month or every two months, depending on my schedule, I have a whole bunch of them to do. I do like a. Uh, a joking uh, Patreon appreciators. It's the only thing that's hidden. Like uh, two months ago, I did, uh, last month I did, uh, like which Pokemon would you take to get a best defensive starting five? Um, and uh, I think I have a, a piece where I make everybody in football manager seven feet tall <laughs> and uh, see how they would play if they were just like a tall and could only head. Uh, we're terrible. It's great. I'm going to have that out. After but length. It's all yeah. about the length. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody's like a plus 10. It doesn't matter at all. Great at throwings. So the Syracuse of soccer. So we can uh, name the team. Yeah. I mean, we also score zero points and we're awful to watch. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, man, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, to everyone listening, of course, go follow everything that he does. Like, just really incredible work. I've enjoyed really getting to know him and follow his stuff. And uh, also, thank you just for always being willing to share your time with me. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Um, actually, I have one last thing to plug. Uh, I do have a, a thing that's not basketball related, really. Uh, I do a podcast where I you know, ask people around the internet to come join me and uh, talk about a basketball player that brought them joy. And uh, this week, there was a person who may be on this call who was, who was a guest. It's entirely possible. I may have been on it, may not have been and, on it. Who knows? And, uh, and we may have talked about some, uh, some Daniel Granger. Yes. The one and only. Yeah. Who, as folks are, many people are saying, was a bucket. He was indeed a bucket, a, a very much so a bucket. Not a uh, not a knee guy though. Look, we Too can soon. all be perfect, but he he was a bright shining light for that one true moment. We yes, appreciate uh, that. He, he wasn't Troy Murphy, but he was Daniel Granger. 
Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been yeah, great. Of course. I'm glad you've come on. Deep into into draft profit prospects in the fifties and UDFA process. Thank you. It so was much for, for seriously me. a blast. And thank you again and to everyone listening. Uh, just have a great rest of your day. Of course, rate review, subscribe, share this, follow PD's work, follow me and just have a good rest of your day.